Hello, and welcome to Monumental, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, leaders, visionaries, and big thinkers making monumental change. Here's your host, Evan Holliday. Welcome to Monumental. I'm your host, Evan Holliday, and today we have on the show with us a guy that is making massive, massive waves in affordable workforce housing, uh, Atticus LeBlanc. Atticus, great to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Evan. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm, and I'm honored. Yes. Um, so a little quick, quick background as to how we got here. Uh, I actually saw an article on Forbes about how Atticus and his and his company uh, PadSplit were just changing the way people are looking at affordable housing and providing affordable housing on a scale level. Um, so I was like, man, we gotta we have to get this guy on the show. Uh, so I'm really excited for today's episode. Uh, a little bit about Atticus before we get started. He is the founder and CEO of PadSplit, an affordable housing company that's on a mission to change the world one room at a time. Uh, he has been an affordable housing developer since 2008 and has acquired and managed more than 550 existing affordable homes and more than 220,000 square feet of commercial space and has directed the renovation of another 250 plus properties owned by others. Uh, he's presented on housing solutions at MIT, UC Berkeley, U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation, and he's also the chair of the ULI's Urban Plan Education Initiative and so much more to Atticus. But with that, let's just dive right in, Atticus. Uh, why don't you sure. tell our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and how you got to where you are today? Um, definitely, yeah. Happy, happy to to dive in. Um, and I, I guess uh, I'll I'll start. Uh, I've been in uh, commercial real estate uh, or res- residential real estate my entire career, almost twenty years. Uh, now here in Atlanta, uh, originally a native of New Orleans, uh, so still, still a diehard Saints fan. But um, I've been an entrepreneur now for, for the last 15 years. So certainly uh, a pretty unique career path, uh, unconventional, not necessarily uh, recommended for, for everyone. But uh, I was uh, a commercial broker back from 2005 to 2007, and I was not very good at that but uh, became apparent pretty early on that uh, I was much more interested in uh, value add opportunities. And as a broker, uh, you just don't really get paid for those. Um, and then in 2007, my, my world changed where I was just kind of getting my, my feet under me in the brokerage world, uh, had a, a bunch of deals lined up. Uh, and shortly after my son was born, uh, my first son in 2007, uh, every one of those deals in the pipeline collapsed, as I'm sure you well know, Evan, yes. how that went. Uh, and uh, I had uh, I had really paid for uh, those two years um, by purchasing, renovating, and selling uh, an abandoned house next door to me in Decatur, Georgia. Uh, and so I started looking at houses again. Uh, of course, I didn't have a lot of money. Um, had about a $50,000 line of credit on my personal home, though. Um, and so started looking for opportunities at, uh, at 50,000 or less in the city of Atlanta and lo and behold, where there should have been 50 or fewer, there were 1200, uh, in late 2007. Uh, and that, uh, that really got me into this, uh, 
housing where I, I started buying originally with my own money and cobbling together dollars wherever I could um, to, to buy, renovate, and then use the housing choice program to get those filled and, and cash flowing. And it just, it kind of snowballed from there, to be honest with you. Uh, we did some public-private partnerships, some more traditional subsidized affordable housing programs. Uh, and uh, it, it was a, a very long and winding road um, in in the business. And, and really, we were operating originally just one house at a time and then uh, one building at a time. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun and exciting. And uh, it's uh, originally my goal was just to to create a recurring revenue source for myself and my family and to, to kind of have some financial independence. Uh, and when I was fortunate enough to get to that point in 2016, uh, the next stage in my life, I thought was how do how do I give back uh, and and create uh, a legacy of positive impact that will will last well beyond me. Uh, and and ultimately, that's what what led me to start PadSplit. That's amazing. I love I love that it it all kind of comes back to um, kind of that that moment of unknown. Uh, and back in 07, when when you had these deals that you thought were lined up, uh, and then kind of the world comes crashing down around you, and that's where you need to reinvent yourself and pivot to another another lane and figure out okay, well, how can I provide for my family? And that's through um, providing that workforce housing component um, that you started out with saying, hey, I want to provide for my family first and foremost and make sure they're happy and healthy and, and I can provide for them. And then that next step was like, oh, I can actually do some good out of this and and have a real impact. Yeah, yeah no, exactly right. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think um, as as I have had the the unique perspective to see and to work with uh, folks at all levels of uh, society or, or uh, an income strata, uh, often on the same day, you you start to realize that um, so much of a person's actions are really just informed by their level of desperation. And as soon as you can remove the desperation from the equation, you're often dealing with an entirely different person altogether. And it doesn't really matter if you're a multimillionaire or somebody on their last dime. Um, it's a question of mindset and, uh, how do you, uh, how do you handle that, uh, and, and deal with, with desperation overall, uh, in, in times of scarcity. Um, and I know as an entrepreneur, uh, something that I've, I've just become very accustomed to and comfortable with, frankly, is, is taking those risks. And, and right now, uh, have really relished in a lot of those and just understanding that, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and you just keep walking one foot in front of the other. And, uh, you'll, if you can hang around long enough, you'll usually find an opportunity that, that, that you can pursue and, um, just keep your, keep your wits about you and your, uh, your morals front and foremost, and, uh, you'll, you'll hopefully find success. Yeah. I think it's like combining that, um, perseverance, uh, with that, with that drive of being able to help, help your family and being able to give back. Um, and, and I love that you touched on desperation and how a lot of, of sometimes people's questionable behavior sometimes, or, or, you know, actions come out of desperation. Um, and, and maybe even sometimes people look at it as a negative, um, you know, where, where people do illegal things, 
And, but I, I had heard, uh, it was a monk, a Tibetan monk, he'd said in a book that I'd read, it was basically saying like, you know, I feel sorry for those that have to resort to that, where they mm-hmm. feel that that is their only option. Um, and so I, I just took that and, and kind of aligned that with what you all are doing with PatSplit is you're, you're allowing for an opportunity at a much lower price point um, to be able to provide affordable housing, which is takes so much of the um, unknown out of the equation for a lot of families that could be living paycheck to paycheck, uh, takes out that desperation component. Because um, I think that's a big part of providing quality workforce affordable housing is taking away that desperation component like you talked about. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, I mean, and one of the key components of this model, and, and I don't think I would have gotten to uh, to any of these realizations had I not spent a lot of time, um, eight years really, uh, just in a lot of the homes of, uh, of our lower income residents and, and to see what the needs actually were. Uh, and spending time in these neighborhoods and realizing um, what what the pain points were, and and having to file for an eviction on someone uh, where the reason was they ultimately made a choice to pay their cable bill mid month rather than paying their rent on the first of the month. And at first, I saw that situation and said, "Why on earth would anyone make that choice?" And as I thought about it. Uh, over time, I came to realize that they made that choice because the, the the cable television rep was the one on the phone with them in the middle of the month. And there's absolutely no reason why the entire rental industry should be based around this idea that payments are due on the first of the month, right? As I sit here today, I couldn't tell you what day of the week October 1st falls on. And I would, I would venture a guess that without checking a calendar, most of your audience couldn't either. Uh, and yet every landlord in America virtually assumes that the, that, that a tenant is going to know what day of the week the first month falls on, and they are going to budget their cable bill, their light bill, their water bill, their car insurance bill, their payday loan bill, their daycare bill, everything uh, yeah. around that date. And uh, there's just, there's a very limited amount of customer discovery that needs to be done to understand, well, wait a second, that system doesn't work. And ultimately, uh, you can have someone who may not even be in a, a significant situation of desperation, but uh, who who just forgets something. Uh, and if, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you have that many things to remember, um, it can be it can be incredibly difficult to to make the system work. Uh, and and so that really informed a lot of uh, of what we do and and why we created the system that we did uh, was just so that people could understand. You know, right now, pad split bills either weekly or around paydays, and we include all the utilities, Wi-Fi, laundry. Uh, we provide access to telemedicine. Uh, we do credit reporting as as part of the payment, um, and they're fully furnished rooms, so that individuals know as long as I can make this one payment that is roughly equivalent to twenty dollars a day, uh, I'm going to have all of these things covered, and I know that I get paid on Friday. Uh, and so therefore, if I allocate this amount of money every Friday um, or on my payday every second Tuesday or whenever that might be, then I'm covered and I don't have anything to worry about. Huh. Uh, and, and, and just being able to, to create that level of, um, 
uh, of comfort and stability, uh, I think is, is really the first step in, uh, in this process. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. You bring that up because I, 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 in all truthfulness, I, you don't sometimes remember to think about from the perspective of the one paying the bill, your resident, the one that, you know, you should be looking after and also making sure they're in a good position to be able to afford rent every month. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great way to look at it is, you know, you need to take the perspective and look into each situation of your renters and, and your, your tenant population and make sure that you are kind of catering to that audience. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and so going into that a little further, so you, you started out in the providing the affordable housing where you were actually going out and buying the buildings uh, with your capital or investor capital, uh, fixing them up and then partnering with the housing choice voucher program uh, with the Atlanta Housing Authority and, and other potential residents as well. Um, but then eventually you came to the, the idea of pad split. Where did, where did this idea come from and, and how did you make that sure. leap from, from owner to you know, platform. technology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I certainly had no business starting a technology company. If, if, <laughs> if that's part of the question, um, I am, I am not at all techno, uh, technologically savvy. Um, but, uh, the, I guess the, the, the initial point was, uh, we had sold a number of units in 2016. So I had that, that level of comfort and, and residual income where I knew like, okay, now I can go do what I want to do in order to, to give back and create this legacy. It just so happened that uh, we were working on an affordable housing project um, that was renovating an old school for affordable housing units uh, in a community called Adair Park. And I saw an advertisement for an affordable housing ideas competition uh, that was sponsored by a group called Enterprise Community Partners, who I'm sure you know well, uh, and the city of Atlanta. And so I went to the competition with this project in mind, and it became clear over the course of the presentation that they were looking for, for ideas that could scale. And so I knew that the, the school conversion project that I had in mind would, would not suffice. Um, but I had, I had long been noodling on this, on this concept of individual room rentals. Um, and I had, I had first discovered the idea in 2009 uh, when a couple of folks that were renting rooms in a, in a really junky rooming house next door to one of my rentals, uh, they were getting evicted because the house was being foreclosed. And these two gentlemen I knew were making social security income only about $700 a month. Uh, and it, it shocked me that, that they could survive off of that, uh, first and foremost, but, um, they wanted to know if they could come rent rooms in my rental home. Uh, and, I did the math in my head and realized that they were going to pay me a hundred dollars a week if I included all the utilities and everything. And it occurred to me that, that that would produce more income than renting the house traditionally on the open market. And without this option, these guys would have nowhere to go. And so there were, there were two real aha moments that came out of that one that you could actually align incentives and make housing both more affordable than any other option that presented themselves. Because at that level of income, as you know, they wouldn't be able to qualify for any apartment or any housing unit anywhere. Um, and, and number two, that this would actually be uh, higher net revenue 
for, for this home. And so this was 2009. Interestingly, the third person who moved into that home is a young lady who works at McDonald's, who's still living in that house 11 years later, paying on a weekly basis. Uh, but so I've been noodling on this for, uh, for seven years when I walked into that competition and I said, you know what, if, uh, if they really want to know what is scalable, what, what I think needs to happen is society needs to stop vilifying, um, uh, capitalistic businesses or real estate entrepreneurs and, and landlords, many of whom I, I knew personally were good people and wanted to do the right thing and, and cut people breaks and, um, and had a really quality product. Uh, and what you need to do is show those people an alternative that, that both creates more affordable housing and is more profitable than other alternatives. Because if they had a more profitable alternative than uh, flipping homes and creating gentrification and displacement um, or uh, building McMansions, which I know is a hot topic in a lot of areas, uh, and you could show them that affordable housing could actually be more profitable and, and a high risk adjusted return, then they would take that option. And if we could show investors around the country, or around the world, uh, that this was a workable option, then you could solve the, the housing crisis for a lot of people. Uh, there are about 35% of the population in the rental community that is both low income and um, uh, one or two person households. And, and those folks just don't qualify for, for any other available uh, housing options. They, they earn too much to, to qualify for housing choice vouchers or traditional subsidy programs. Uh, and even the, the, the wait lines uh, for, for those types of subsidy programs we know are uh, often years long. Yeah. Um, and and it, was, it was a way to really align those incentives. Uh, and so I just kind of brainstormed out into a white paper for this competition uh, everything that I thought would would need to be in this platform and how you could actually do it. Uh, and and that became the basis for pad split. Uh, I just, uh, uh, I, I happened to be at a point in my life where I wasn't really doing too much else. Uh, and I, uh, we, we got a small grant from, from enterprise and JP Morgan Chase foundation to, to get going. And, uh, I, uh, I guess had a, uh, had a need to, to go, to go prove somebody that, that, that this could work. And so we just, we just kind of kept going. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that it all comes out of this, uh, enterprise competition, um, which is phenomenal. And, and quick side note, uh, I'm actually reading James Rouse's biography, uh, who started enterprise foundation sure. and phenomenal story. It's amazing how much he has affected affordable housing. I didn't even realize that when I picked up the book, I just knew he built Columbia and he started Enterprise, um, but amazing book. Uh, but that's really cool that this all came from a, really just a, a competition of ideas and it's blossomed into this platform now where it could really scale quickly and it already has and has so much room for growth too. I mean, just the, the it, possibilities are endless. It's kind of like, you know, an, afford, or an affordable housing version of Airbnb. Um, yeah. And so that was, that was the vision, right? Is, uh, I, I saw that, uh, and, and certainly if you're based in Nashville, you know, yeah. um, where, uh, you had, uh, independent entrepreneurs who were taking this platform. Um, and ultimately I, I would say, 
um, the, the, to the detriment of the community, taking what would have been market priced uh, or relatively affordable units and converted them into uh, almost hotel rooms. Yeah. Um, and if you could take those same forces and, and get them to uh, create longer term affordable housing options, I felt convinced that they would do it. And so it's, it's been cool to see. I mean, listen, we have, we're still very early. We have a really long way to go. Uh, but uh, I don't have any doubt that uh, just creating the incentive structures to, to show people that doing the right thing can also pay dividends uh, will will ultimately uh, create a scalable model, um, and, and and really, uh, I think just a, a better environment overall. Um, if, if we can start to align not just the uh, the social impact with the profitability, but um, thinking about uh, economic impacts and environmental impacts, and and all of those things that that yeah. come into this model. Uh, that that really get me excited uh, about yeah. moving forward and and growing. And um, and and like you touched on, I mean, the whenever we're working on a new affordable workforce housing development, um, you know, it, it's it's oftentimes that's one of our hardest parts is to help explain how this isn't a a one sided development by providing affordable housing, by providing quality workforce, affordable housing, you're actually impacting the backbone really of the local economy. These are people making, you know, sure. 10 to $20 an hour um, and, or working a lot of entry-level jobs for Metro government, um, for schools, for universities. Um, and these are people that ultimately need quality housing, but they really can't find it in the communities or the economies where they work. Exactly. Typically commuting an hour or more outside of town just to be able to afford it. And then they're living paycheck to paycheck still. Um, it just does not breed opportunity. And it also breeds um, uncertainty for them. And it it really brings the whole economy down as a whole because yeah. it's so inefficient. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's waste, right? Yeah. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, I'm a, a big efficiency guru, I guess. Uh, and, and the more efficient you can make the system, the, the better off it is for everybody. And it's funny, you, you talk to po people who are generally opponents of affordable housing in their neighborhoods. Um, and as a company and something that I, I say all the time is, look, I, I believe that the people who serve your communities deserve at least the opportunity to live in them. Right. Um, and, and let, let them prove you wrong. But what, what a lot of opponents of affordable housing don't necessarily think is they'll complain about traffic in the same breath. And the reality is the cashier at your grocery store almost can never afford to, yeah. to live in your same area. And what that means is if she has to commute an hour to an hour and a half each way, one, she's in a desperate situation. Yeah. And two, you've got a lot more cars on the road uh, than, than you want to see. Yeah. And all of these issues are, are related. Um, and, and obviously, again, the, the, the additional time on the road means that you've got uh, additional, additional environmental impacts, uh, additional traffic issues, 
lower economic impact uh, and just how that money stays in your local community. Um, and all of these things compound uh, and, and create lots of either second order impacts uh, negatively or positively. Uh, and, and I feel like a lot of folks just don't necessarily uh, think through that as much as what is the thing that I'm philosophically opposed to or that I yeah. think I'm philosophically opposed to uh, without uh, really trying to uh, consider the whole picture. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's honestly the biggest uh, struggle. I think the biggest rub uh, with communities is is having that. It, it it's a tough conversation because you're you're trying to get people to open up about why they think a certain way and what is what is legitimately holding them back. What is the reason behind the reason? Um, and I think that's in order for communities to grow, I think that's a conversation each community needs to be seriously having all the time. Yeah, it's um, you know, something I've taken a lot from, uh, you'd mentioned um, the urban plan program that I've been a part of for, uh, gosh, almost 20 years now. Um, and and one of the things that we force students to do in this uh, development planning scenario, it's kind of a case study where where they have a couple of blocks that that they get to develop and envision. Huh. Uh, but everything starts with the vision, right? And uh, what type of community do you envision you want to have? And describe that in terms of feelings. How do you want this place to feel, uh, whether it's uh, Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. or Saturday night? Uh, and then what are the values that you hold as a community? And how is that vision and those values, how are those reflected in your approach to this particular problem? Uh, and uh, is, is your zoning code <laughs> aligned with that vision and those values? Or is it not? Um, and how do, you, uh, how do you rectify those, those situations where they occur? Um, and, and ultimately... Uh, what are you as a neighbor, community member, uh, real estate investor doing to, to live out those values? And, and one of the things that I find most gratifying about the work that, that I have the opportunity to do is that uh, I get to live out my values in my work every day. Uh, and, and we get an opportunity to prove it. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's really gratifying. And, and I, I feel blessed to be able to have the opportunity. I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's one of the things I just love about what we do is we get to embody our, our values and our mission in what we do every day, um, day in, day out. And it, it's powerful. And, and I, I implore all of our listeners, too, to, to you know, uh, figure out how you can kind of cross-pollinate your mission, um, your personal mission, as well as your impact um, with your business as well. Yeah, agree completely. Uh, so as far as as far as I, I also wanted to just quickly touch on, I love that you said uh, and it aligning incentives. So you talked about it's more creates more affordable housing and it creates more profitability for investors and, and property owners, which is ultimately how you're going to create the opportunity for pad split to grow, which inevitably will create more opportunity for uh, affordable housing for residents. Um, so I'm really glad you touched on that because ultimately economics 101 is it's all about incentives. Uh, it's yep. we're all driven by our decision making is driven by incentives. Um, so that's really how this will grow. Same as Airbnb, it, 
tapped into like people are like, oh, I can make extra money out of that bedroom yep. in my house. Um, same thing. And I think that's, that's powerful. Yeah. Um, it's, um, I, I'd say, I'd say there, there's a couple things that work there. First, it's, it's the alignment of incentives. Uh, and then the other big part is customer discovery, right? I mean, you have to know what, what customers actually need. And, and then lastly, uh, it's finding opportunity and knowing where those inefficiencies are. So a big part of the way that we work in, in creating the system where, okay, we know that there is a, a huge population of singles and couples uh, in these markets that don't have any other housing options. Uh, and we also know that we have a heck of a lot of wasted space inside our homes today. Yep. Uh, and, and so how do you um, enable the, the people who have that space uh, to, to pick up the tools that pad split is providing uh, and, and use that to create uh, affordable housing uh, in those wasted unmonetized spaces. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and ultimately that, that opportunity only exists because there is inefficiency or, or waste in, wow. in all those spaces. I mean, you think about uh, like uh, one of my favorite questions is, you know, how many times have you used your your formal dining room in yeah. the last year? If you have one, right? Uh, whether it's a formal dining room, of course, we're we're all using our home offices a little bit more these days um, <laughs> yeah. than than we probably used to. But uh, but any of those spaces could could be monetized and and ultimately provide uh, much more affordable alternatives in terms of housing than uh, than what's out there. And then the next question is, okay, well, what would have to be in place uh, for you to trust that you were renting that room uh, to, to someone that is, quote unquote, a stranger? Or how do you make that person not a stranger, right? Uh, even though most people are not willing to, to rent a room to uh, a stranger off the street. Well, if all of a sudden I say, okay, well, it's someone who, who goes to your church or someone who knows your brother um, or used to work at the same company. Then, yeah. then all of a sudden, uh, you you get over some of those hurdles really quickly, but but most of what we do uh, candidly is not even with owner occupants; it's with investors. And uh, for an investor, it's it's a very easy sales pitch. And that do you want to make more money, do less work, and do something good? Uh, yeah. And uh, whether or not they they initially came to the table thinking about doing something good, they almost always want to make more money and do less work. <laughs> exactly. Um, and if I can if I can demonstrate for them how through this model they can take that formal dining room in a rental house that they were never paid for, uh, really, and now all of a sudden create an additional affordable unit uh, at zero cost to the government, um, then then by and large they they do it over and over again. Yeah, and I love how it. This is something that, like you're saying, it's it's efficiency down to its core. Like, hey, we have these humongous homes. Or, or overbuilt homes uh, or underutilized homes. Um, and it's a way to capitalize on that and, and take it to scale. And I think ultimately the, the affordable housing crisis that is going on across the country and really the world, um, but I think solving that is going to take creative ideas like pad split, like you know auxiliary units in the back of homes, like modular housing. Yeah anything that pushes the needle on how we think about housing as we know it today, um, I think is, is where the needle is actually going to be moved the most. 
Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, I, I know from some of the studies we've done, um, you know, everybody says we have a, a housing shortage. Well the, well, the truth is we have a supply crisis, but it's not necessarily the same thing as a housing shortage, right? It's a, it's a, it's a d- distribution challenge rather than an actual yeah. shortage. Yeah. Um, and, and we know that if we just took around 1% of, of the housing in, that exists already in most jurisdictions, you could solve a massive chunk of, of the supply crisis uh, for yeah. people who are most in need. Uh, it's just a question of how do you actually facilitate the, the creation and, and rentability of that space to the right people who need it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really where the, the, the power is in my mind. But uh, from, from anybody who's a taxpayer, they should care. Because uh, as you know, um, being in the low-income housing tax credit world, those those units are really expensive to create. And guess what? We, the taxpayers, are funding them. Yeah. And if if each one of those people um, needs a needs a unit that costs on the order of two hundred thousand dollars in taxpayer money, uh, <laughs> where you you could do it for for no taxpayer money, sign me up, right? Um, and again, back to the alignment of those incentives, it's just a question of how are we educating the public uh, around uh, where the real costs are uh, of uh, around the way that we live and the way that we build and how our, our zoning policies actually work. Yeah, um, and, and brings up something. So you mentioned you came from the commercial real estate side, uh, the affordable housing side, um, and then go from commercial real estate into software and platform building. <laughs> how how yeah. does one make that switch? And what has it been like from like from day one of PadSplit to today? What has that growth been like for you? Yeah, so uh, so commercial to residential really wasn't that much of a transition for me personally. I mean, my my thesis in college was in housing, so I had always had an interest. Um, and uh, that that was less of a transition. It was it was certainly a huge transition to go from real estate to technology. And I've learned a ton of uh, new acronyms and vocabulary over the last couple of years. Um, there there are a couple. Um, I mean, they are almost different different worlds completely uh, in the way that uh, problems are solved and uh, issues are addressed. Uh, number one is that in in real estate almost everything is governed by available financing and how are projects financed. And in technology, everything is governed by customer discovery and will someone use this and how will they use it? Uh, And so it's much more freeform. Um, The the growth over the last uh, couple of years, we we really, I mean, it took me about a year, um, all of 2017, when I, when I had the vision that this needed to exist as a technology product, because all, my goal was for any, any owner, whether you were a homeowner uh, or even a renter, uh, but particularly a real estate investor, because I felt like they, they had the most capability to create affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vision was for any of those stakeholders to be able to pick up this set of tools and create affordable housing that was both more profitable and better for, for the end user. And, that, and I knew that had to exist as, as a technology product. I had watched what had happened with Airbnb uh, and Uber or Lyft or any other technology platform that you can think of. Um, and just how 
how quickly they were able to expand uh, into hundreds or thousands or millions of markets. Uh, and I knew that that would never be possible as a real estate enterprise. Uh, it would be profitable as a real estate enterprise, but that's not what I was interested in. What I was interested in was solving this problem. Um, and, and so that's ultimately why I made the decision to, to create a technology company. I just spent the next year uh, building a network, uh, talking to the folks that I knew that were in technology in any way, shape or form, uh, going to Georgia Tech events. They have a, a program called ATDC that's been around for a long time. It's a bit of an incubator. Uh, and ultimately, uh, that, that led me to uh, a program called Techstars. And we were admitted to the Techstars program in 2018. Uh, a, a friend who I had met in that year of networking introduced me to uh, uh, one of our founding team, our CTO, John O'Brien, uh, who had also been a founder previously, knew something about the fractional housing space, and was also mission-driven. And then uh, I recruited my brother-in-law. Uh, who was uh, kind of an operational wizard, uh, had, had been, um, it was a very smart guy and been in the Marine Corps, worked for McKinsey, uh, and then ran a very large business unit for Georgia Pacific. Um, and, and that was it, right? We, we started that program. Uh, I had, uh, we, we count in terms of a unit as a bedroom. Uh, we started with 23 units that summer, and we're now at just about 1,100. Uh, so it's, it's been kind of fast and furious since then. And, uh, we want to be at 12,000 units in the next two years. So, uh, it's, it's only going to get harder and, and faster. Uh, but it's, it's an exciting time. That's amazing. I, I love how you're like, you, you realized from the beginning that to be scalable, it had to be on a, a platform online basis. I I've had that, honestly, I've had that same kind of um, struggle myself where I absolutely love real estate and I love the art of the deal and making yep. developments happen. I love that. I love it. And, and I also love that we're mission driven and we're providing affordable housing, but I always come back to, okay, well, you know, our, our big, big, hairy, audacious goal in holiday ventures is we want to create a hundred thousand units of workforce yep. affordable housing. And I'm like, man, I don't, I just don't know if that's possible by just development. You have to at least add in acquisition, um, but at the very, at even above and beyond that, to really get there, you have to look at systems of scale. Um, and the online platform is a great way to look at that. Um, so that was interesting. That's why I was curious, personally curious, because I'm like, how yeah. do you make that that uh, that flip? And you surrounded yourself by experts um, and those that have been there before in some degree, fashion or form. Uh, and that's such a key piece of it is like, hey, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, find others and surround yourself with the best and set massive goals. And yeah, build. yeah, I mean, that was that was the huge lesson from the Techstars program uh, was just the power of a network. Uh, and as as an accelerator, but I think this applies to anyone, uh, the, the faster you can build a network of people that you can rely on that have done this before uh, or done something similar before or just can add value in some way, uh, the, the, the easier it is to move quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and by and large, I, I'm just... Uh, I'm grateful every day at the contributions that we've had, both large and small, from 
hundreds or thousands of people that have uh, added one key tidbit of advice. Uh, and I remember that they have a program called Mentor Madness through through Techstars where uh, they call it two years of business development in two weeks because you meet with 100 people, 100 wow. uh, kind of subject matter experts over the course of two weeks. And it, and it is. And, and I mean, like I still consult the notes from, from that experience wow. uh, and we still call on a lot of those folks and reach out to many, many more. Um, and it's just, you get, you get one intro and that intro leads to three and those yeah. three lead to nine and so forth and so on. And, and ultimately if you have, uh, a, a large enough group of, of people who believe in what you're doing and are willing to help, uh, some way that they can, uh, then, then I think that that just about anything's achievable. So, what's what's on the agenda for end of 2020, and then also looking out onto the horizon? Uh, so, the the immediate um, goal for us is is expansion into new markets. So, uh, almost all of our units right now are in the Atlanta metro area, and and so we are actively looking for uh, real estate investors, entrepreneurs in new markets uh, to, to adopt uh, the, the pad split platform and, and start putting, uh, putting units on the platform and, and getting things up and running. Uh, and then we're also looking at, at hiring those folks in, in different markets as well. Um, that's, that's definitely the first order of business. The, this last quarter has revolved around uh, getting our operational house uh, as streamlined as we can possibly be so that we are ready, right? You never really feel completely ready for, yeah. for massive expansion, but, uh, but we feel like we're close enough to go ahead and do it. Uh, so that's, that's really the, the, the next call it 16 quarters, I think will just be around how fast can we grow? Um, and, and how well can we do it? Right. I mean, that's the constraining factor is how do we ensure that we've got quality control and accountability for, for all these units that we want to create and, and bring online? Um, and how do we make sure that we are aligning ourselves with a network of, uh, of partners who share our, our vision for both uh, doing good and doing well simultaneously? Uh, that's, I think that's, that's probably the single most important thing because I, I believe that the people who are closest to the problems and are in those communities are, are most capable of solving them. Um, and, and yeah, the, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you beyond uh, uh, a year or so exactly what that looks like. But uh, but yeah, we're just trying to go as fast as we can because we know that there are a heck of a lot of people that uh, that that need um, better housing options that, that really just don't have access to to anything right now. Yeah, yeah, and I love how you guys also have added into uh, not just the housing platform, but also the the kind of service and empowerment piece of it where you're, you're also like, I think I read on your website, you're partnering with nonprofits who are helping with job yep. placement or um, different things to not only help with the housing, but take it a step further. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our mission officially is leveraging housing as a vehicle for financial empowerment. Um, and I, I look at my own opportunity uh, and so much of it was driven by luck and circumstance uh, and, and, you know, couldn't, couldn't have been possible without, uh, a lot of persistence, but, um, but I, I absolutely want to create those opportunities for, for others. And, 
as I look back at my own career, everything that I've ever accomplished as an entrepreneur can go back to one decision, which was to purchase my house in 2003. Uh, I, I bought an old foreclosure um, and fixed it up and eventually used a line of credit against that house to go do everything else I've ever done. Yeah. And what, what my, my dream for pad split, and we've already seen this happen twice, but, but I'd love to see it happen at scale is we have a member who comes in, who, um, is, is usually in a tough spot and they, they choose this room because they need the most affordable option available. And what, what I've laid out on, on paper now is, is how, uh, they can move from that position of finding stability uh, and and building savings to having the flexibility with their time so that they can go earn more income uh, and ultimately be empowered to go move into their own place and then use the same platform to provide opportunities for others to cover their cost of housing, then buy their own place, cover their cost of housing, earn equity, build wealth over time, and ultimately become a real estate investor and like have that cycle start over and over again, where uh, those people who are initially first in need of opportunities can seize them and then ultimately build the wealth that, that can create opportunities for others uh, and, and create this, this really beautiful virtual cycle. Uh, That's, that's the dream. That's phenomenal, man. Well, I'm glad we're talking today because uh, I think our missions are, are pretty dang aligned. Um, ours is actually creating empowering communities. And I, I've, I've had discussions on exactly what you're saying, where we want, like, I, like, I just get like giddy excited about thinking about yeah. somebody starting in affordable housing and then getting to the point where they can be an investor in real estate and invest in affordable housing. Um, so you and me definitely need to, to keep talking after this. Podcast. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we, we, we love some units in Nashville. Yes. Let's make it happen. Um, and, and that, that brings up something I was curious about. Like, do you go city by city? Is that the best strategy? Uh, like a concerted effort on one city as you're expanding? Yeah. I mean, we don't have the luxury of going one city at a time, unfortunately. Um, uh, well, fortunately or unfortunately, right? It just—it is what it is. We want to grow quickly. Yeah. Um, it, we're we're making uh, a a large push into Houston right now, but we are absolutely talking with folks in other cities, and uh, we know that we will have to make a lot of those yeah. uh, investments in human capital in in multiple markets. Um, and, and so, yeah, we if we can if we can just get linear growth or call it. 10 houses a month uh, in one market, okay, well, that's fine, but much better to do it in 10 markets simultaneously. And, and that's really how you how you get to that exponential growth curve. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, and as far as as your all's like growth trajectory, are you are you still in the the fundraising side of the growth cycle? Something something you learn as a startup is you are always fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, um, so we've had, uh, we've had two rounds of venture capital. Now we, we just recently uh, announced that we completed our series a funding. Uh, so we, we raised $10 million, uh, which we're incredibly thankful for that now, 
we know we at least have a longer runway yeah, to, to go. Thank you. Um, so we'll, we'll be around for a bit longer, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm already back on, back on the trail. Um, not necessarily for, for venture capital dollars, but, uh, talking to real estate investors about, um, building real estate funds, uh, to, to go out and, and purchase properties and, um, and, and ultimately create more units in, in multiple markets. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a great way to, to go at the supply side at scale, uh, is to talk with investors that have. Um, significant capital where they can go after multiple units at a time. And that also allows you to unlock bigger investors because typically commercial investors aren't going to be looking at one or two houses. They want something at scale. Um, sure. And that can really, yeah, that can, that's really cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a both and equation for us. It's like uh, one of my favorite lines is, uh, uh, from a, a, a famous uh, venture capital investor named Mark Andreessen. It's, if you can't ride two elephants at the same time, what are you doing at the circus? <laughs> and, um, and we I try to take that to heart that you just, you just keep, keep going um, and, and do as much as you can. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, I feel like we could keep going and going, but let's uh, let's dive into our monumental questions. Sure. What does success mean to you? Uh, and I think I touched on this earlier, right? It's it's making other people successful. Uh, it's uh, I'm I'm extremely gratified that I got to a point where I know I have comfort knowing that my family is is covered uh, from the units that we've been able to to create through my previous business. Um, but but now it's it's all about. Uh, helping others succeed in in any way, shape, or form you can, and that's really what what gives me the warm fuzzies. I love it. Uh, what about daily habit or morning rituals that you have? Uh, so I do uh, I do journal on a, a on a almost every morning basis. I'm not uh, uh, quite relig- as religious about it as I as I know I need to be, but but just about every morning. Um, and I, uh, I try to run, I try to run and exercise uh, whenever I can. Uh, it's one of the silver linings of, uh, of the current pandemic is uh, I feel like I've definitely lost some weight and, um, been in, been in better shape, uh, than, than I have been when I was on the road. That's funny. I can, I can echo that too. It's probably the best shape I've ever been in. <laughs> yeah. I can't quite say that I was a swimmer in college, but, uh, it's uh, better than I've been in a while. Yeah. Um, uh, last question. What about your favorite book or book you're currently reading? Um, so, uh, the, the book that I, I actually just finished recently that I would, uh, I would suggest is, is atomic habits, um, getting on the idea of, of habits and, and really uh, the gist is rather than setting, uh, lofty goals alone, uh, force yourself to to build systems and and consistency around habits uh, that will ultimately lead to success over time. Uh, and like one of the the great analogies from the book is uh, talking about hammering at a at a stone. Um, and if you're if you're hammering at a large rock with a small hammer, uh, it, it will ultimately break. But it's not the last uh, throw of the hammer that that ultimately brings it it's the, the previous several thousand that have, uh, that have chipped away at the thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a phenomenal book. 
James Clear is, he's also got a great newsletter. Um, but yeah, I love that you brought that up. Um, well, Atticus, phenomenal episode. I love the, the topic we got to dive into, the many topics we got to dive into. Um, hearing your story, hearing Pat's split story and the mission and the why, uh, and really being able to take this at scale and solve a really, uh, you know, a huge issue, a huge problem uh, is phenomenal uh, place to be and place to be going. Um, so I appreciate you. I applaud you. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Um, Absolutely. Where, my pleasure. Yes. Where can our monumental listeners reach out to you or follow you or get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, first uh, visit our website. It's just uh, padsplit.com. Uh, they can, they can reach out to me, uh, on, on Twitter. I'm just at Atticus LeBlanc, uh, or at PadSplit. Uh, I'm not at all a difficult person to reach. Um, but yeah, look forward to, to hearing from, from anyone interested. And, and if you want to shoot me an email, it's just Atticus at PadSplit.com. And also if you are a real estate investor and looking for a new opportunity to, to have income and impact, um, Indeed. Out as a platform to be a host. Uh, I'm not Absolutely. sure what, what you call the the host. That's right. Host. You nailed host. it. Love it. Perfect. Um, so guys, make sure to either connect with Atticus or see what he's up to at PadSplit. They're doing phenomenal work uh, and creating a lot of opportunities on both the renter side and the uh, owner investor host side. Um, so guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it on social media tag Atticus, tag PadSplit, tag me. Let us know you're listening. Let us know what part of today's episode you enjoyed most. And guys, with that, have a monumental day. Bye.